everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a Femme Over 40 and Her Friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Um, I want to just jump right into it. Um, normally, I do a little pre-roll, but since it's just you and me today, um, I'm going to get right into what I think is the most important thing that I'm going to talk about in this episode, which is Black Lives Matter. Obviously, we're at a really intense and unique uh, period of time in our country, uh, specifically, I guess, the country I'm in, which is the United States. I know not all of my listeners are from the U.S., and I can only imagine what your impression is <laughs> of the U.S. after the last, like, three, four months, and I'm actually kind of curious, so if any of you want to, like, drop me a note and let me know what you're experiencing out there, I would love to hear it. Um, but Black Lives Matter has been a movement that's been around for quite some time. And, um, you know, honestly, I think this is going to be a moment in history that is changing things. I think there's like a different tone. I think people are um, just, there's so much unrest. Uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, uh, who is a black man, he's the uh, spiritual director at Agape Spiritual Center, which is where I uh, attend church. He was talking about how we have this perfect storm of um, a higher consciousness in humanity. Um, I don't need to go into all the benefits of meditation, but one of those benefits is um, actually extending uh, peace and capacity in the world. And meditation has become a very popular thing. And so as more and more people do it, it is actually creating um, the ability for us to create mass global change. So we have that like fertile ground. Plus we had COVID-19, uh, the lockdown that is obviously already creating systemic. Uh, I think it was like the incident that created a light that shone through the cracks of our very broken systems. Um, we have we don't have a healthcare system in this country. We have a disease care system, and even that, even when faced with a disease, it was going to crumble if we didn't completely lock down. So it's so interesting how that happened and that was allowed to happen. But it happens over time. It happens with a populace that is like low-key brainwashed all the time. And uh, white supremacy is part of brainwashing. And um, so we've got the COVID lockdown, and then we have the lynching of George Floyd on the news, another black man murdered on the news. And that's not, this isn't new. Like, this stuff has been happening for, you know, 400 years. And, you know, I remember the Rodney King riots, which happened during my lifetime in the early 90s. Um, and that was from you know, the assault of an unarmed black man uh, during a traffic stop in the early 90s. Um, the shooting of Amud, uh, wait, not, it's, uh, I forget the name of the person who, anyway, whatever. There's just like all these different incidents that we can point to in our lifetime that have always been there and always cause outrage, but I don't think it had the powder keg it quite has today. And I'm grateful for it. I've already seen so much change happening. Um, Already, even on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, nine of the titles are uh, anti-racist books, which is incredible, which means I think people are finally understanding, and I want to say people, meaning white people, are finally understanding it's our work to unlearn this. It's our work to um, gather our people. It's our work to dismantle this. And there are two big components to doing that work I want to talk about, um, which is learning more and having hard conversations. Um, I think those are, I mean, protesting is great and that works if that's for you. Um, but there are so many different really pivotal roles in a movement. Um, 
protesting is one of them. Protecting, where you literally put yourself in the line of fire between someone else. Like, they talk a lot about at protests having white people make a shield in front of uh, black and brown people, basically. Like, um, and that protects them from the police. And, you know, doing stuff like that. Like, if you are on public transit and you witness someone being harassed, going over there and standing next to them and making it not okay for that person to be harassed. Things like that. That's like a protector role. Um, Another role is a bridge builder. And so those are the people who are really willing to go out there and connect to folks who believe in different things than they do. Um, Some people are very natural at bridge building and some people um, are not. And but that is something that you can learn and you can develop. And I think all of us have a role to be bridge builders, some of us on larger scales. But um, every single one of us needs to do that work in our own personal life as we're confronted with that need. Um, Two other roles I want to talk about, uh, being a healer. So that's like both healing people within the movement and healing people who are experiencing the oppression, right? Um, And Michael Bernard Beckwith said in the same talk when he was talking about our current powder keg, um, he said that um, white folks, it's your responsibility to dismantle the racism. Black and brown folks, it's our responsibility to heal from this trauma and to not continue to move forward. So healers in movement work um, and artists. Artists are, you know, our storytellers and the people who kind of create the beauty out of the pain who also help amplify the movement too. Um, And I know we've got like a ton of memes going around, but I love um, all of the different really beautiful pieces of art that are creating uh, the opportunity to learn and share uh, new ideas or old ideas, but in, in more Instagram friendly ways. Um, but I'm just seeing a lot of that and a lot of really cool artwork coming out of this. Um, but just like figure out what your role is and lean into it and really do it. Um, nothing happens if you get, if you don't get out of your comfort zone, when you stay comfortable, you stay the same. And when you're staying the same, you're really going backwards because everything is always changing. So if you're not changing, you're staying behind. Um, so I want to just encourage you to consider every single day, did I get outside my comfort zone today? Um, and I really, really want you to consider that because um, for me, I do that regularly just in terms of wanting a successful life and wanting different results in my life. I have to be uncomfortable every day. Um, and that might be just having an uncomfortable conversation. It might be like risking, uh, looking foolish or whatever that might be. But um, that's what we need to do to have real change. We have to get uncomfortable. Um I personally would prefer to have uncomfortable conversations with um, my white friends and relatives um, that might like make them not want to talk to me or it might offend, annoy them or disrupt them in some way. And I would rather experience that than lose one of my black friends to a police murder, which is a very real possibility. And it gets exponentially realer when you're friends with like black trans folks or disabled folks. Half of the people who are killed by police are disabled. Isn't that horrible? Like just to, and that's not something you can help. That's just something that happens. And all of us are only temporarily able-bodied. So imagine if that raised your mortality rate. Like that's, it's horrible that that's happening. And um, and that's why it's worth getting uncomfortable. You being uncomfortable is like way different, like in such a privilege than having to live with, uh, live as a black person in a racist society. It's just, it's a total privilege. And so something I want to talk about in terms of having those uncomfortable conversations, and that means like confronting microaggressions. It means learning what a microaggression is. It means having, um, smart people tell you how to respond to 
to dumb things that people will say. Um, I've seen a few good um, Instagram memes uh, that I've been sharing about like conversations you can have or things to to kind of get back. You know, when people are like, oh, I don't like all this looting, uh, you can say, yeah, but you know, also what about stealing people from their homeland? You know what I mean? Like there's just, there are a lot of like better, I mean, there's a better example than that out there. Um, but I'm just saying like, you've got to have the uncomfortable conversations and you've got to learn. Um, and so the, that can happen at the same time. You've got to be willing to be imperfect in order to make this happen. Um, and I, I have to say, I haven't done things perfectly. Um, I think a great example for white folks who are nervous about doing things imperfectly is um, go listen to the podcast, A Tribe Called Queer, um, like A Tribe Called Quest, but A Tribe Called Queer uh, podcast, season two, episode three. I was the guest uh, with Sabine Maxine, who was also a guest on my podcast. So go back and listen to that episode with her on my podcast too, and have like a little double header with us. But um, she interviewed me about an accountability that I went through last year when I was called out for racism. And I'll tell you, as someone who um, has, like, really worked to be anti-racist in my life, I have screwed up a lot. And I've had to consistently, like, examine how I've screwed up and determine, resolve to learn and get better. And then try again and then fail again and resolve to learn and get better. Um, the retreat that we're talking about in that accountability podcast, um, I... I had three meetings with the staff of that retreat where we specifically addressed race and we specifically addressed like what we were going to do um, to help create an environment that was welcoming to everybody. And we still failed. So like, and, and since I was the leader, I take full responsibility for that. I failed. And um, something that is something I'm still learning and working really hard. I think I'm like on the precipice. I see, I see the belief happening now, um, that failure is just a part of success and you're just going to keep failing until you get to that final success. And what even is success? I think one of my favorite new quotes I've read recently about success is success is moving from failure to failure with great enthusiasm. So I'm really learning how to have the self-discipline and the attitude to maintain enthusiasm. Uh, and it's, it's hard. I mean, it's like, it's so funny because like, I was like, wow, that was like my greatest fear was getting called out and dragged and, um, for racism. And I lived through it and I could have easily just like closed up shop and quit everything and like kind of, and I did consider it actually in my low moments last year. Like I did consider just quitting everything. Um, but that was like, I was like, what's the point? It just lets the people who are dragging me win. And I want to continue to show up and do better. And so I'm going to keep learning. Um, something I want to suggest, too, in your learning process, uh, and this is number two on the New York Times bestseller right now for very good reasons, is um, Ijeoma Aluo's Alua's book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Um, it's on audiobook. Um, it is very easy to understand. Um, she's an incredible writer, and she's very good at explaining very difficult concepts in a personable way that helps it to be understood. And I think it's super important for us to really hear these stories because they're not in mainstream narrative. 85% of the people who decide what's on TV are white and they're all upholding a system of oppression that they're unconsciously coded with. This is stuff that like we're, 
the school system we're taught in was designed by people at the beginning of the 20th century to indoctrinate factory workers. No kid learns by sitting still for eight hours and being and listening to bells like this is a construct. So we have all of these things that are like inherently set up for us to learn and repeat the same systems that maintain the same people in power. In fact, whittle it down. Less and less people are in power. The trillionaires got more trillionary during COVID and like 21 million people lost their jobs. Like, how is that okay? Um, that our, our capitalist system is so fragile that that's the result, right? So there's all these things that they do to keep themselves in power. And part of that is making it uncomfortable slash um, impossible to talk about race. And I love that our national conversation is breaking that down. Um, and more and more people are getting empowered. So I just want to empower you to do this at work imperfectly and to show up um, and have the rough conversations with people. Something that really helped me um, in Al-Anon Recovery, um, that's a 12-step program for families and friends of alcoholics, and it's it operates very similar to AA um, and other recovery programs. And something they talk about a lot is when you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, to bookend it with somebody who's supportive. Um, so typically that would be like your sponsor, the person who's helping you through recovery and to make different choices um, and repattern your brain emotionally. It's actually scientifically proven that the 12 steps rewire your brain. Because um, most of us aren't raised to handle our emotions and then we seek substances or controlling other people in order to um, make our environment feel controlled. And really, the thing is you can't control people, places and things. You can only control, control yourself and your reactions. Um, so anyway, having a supportive person to talk to before and after, um, having other folks who are white in your life who are doing anti-racist work to connect to about this is super important. Um, and... I just, I want to empower you. Everybody can have a conversation. Everybody can look another person in the eye with love um, and think about how you can give value to people. Um, there's a really great um, Dave Chappelle quote uh, that I love. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that is it, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe, say, or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. So it's Dave Chappelle. Um, and I just think that's so true. And when we stay, um, when we are only friends with people who have the same political beliefs as us, or if we're only friends with people who are like performative white allies or whatever, right? Like when we're only friends with that, we're only limiting ourselves because you can't actually learn all you need to learn in order to be a successful person. Uh, if you keep your experience of the world homogenous. So have those hard conversations with people you're related to, with people you work with, with people who um, are in your life. I truly, I'm obviously, I'm a very spiritual woman. And I think that everyone who comes across your path, whether it's like a clerk checking you out at the grocery store, uh, or if it's, um, you know, a coworker, whoever is in your life, it's there for a reason. That person's in your life for a reason. And you know, if you can go out of your way to be extra nice these days, like just kind to people, sweet, like doing little random acts of kindness, whatever, that makes such a huge difference in the world. Um, and also having those hard conversations and confronting racist stuff and microaggressions when you hear it and 
choosing to learn more about people who are different than you and learning more about systemic racism. Because again, you if you were raised like watching mainstream TV in school systems, like doing all the same things everybody else was, you are indoctrinated in the same thought patterns and you're going to have to choose to learn to get out of them. Um, one of the most profound things I did in my life was to choose to um, stop believing the lies people told me about my body because I believed that I was worthless because I was fat. And that is a lie. Your body size has nothing to do with your worth. And so once I realized that that was just like a mindset that I was taught and I could unlearn that and experience a happier life, it, it broke open so much possibility for me. And I want that for you too. So you need to get out of the systems that have indoctrinated you and, um, and, and learn how to just basically try, fail, evaluate your work, um, and get back out there and try and fail again. Because if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Um, and if you're not hearing no or resistance, then you're not putting yourself out of your comfort zone. So um, so that's kind of my uh, my two cents about that. I hope that like helps some folks feel brave about, um, oh, a ladybug just fell out of my hair and I haven't been outside in like four hours. That's hilarious. Um, anyway... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so I hope that helps embolden some of you to have conversations. But again, So You Want to Talk About Race is a great book. So is White Fragility. Um, and another good communication book I love is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, and I don't really think it's about influence. I really think it's about how to like connect with people. Um, and it's funny. It's one of those book titles where I was like, oh, I get this. I know this. Um, and then I read it and there's just so much more in there, right? You just really can't judge a book that you haven't actually read. And, um, and there was some stuff in there that I knew from the hard knocks of life, like never, ever criticize people only like, like it's almost never important to criticize someone. Um, and that I grew up believing that criticism was love. Um, and that's not really true, but that's how I experienced criticism was constantly lobbed at me as a form of love. And I didn't actually feel it as love, but like then when I was an adult and loving other people, I would criticize them and that wasn't love. Right. So I had to unlearn that. And this is all stuff you can unlearn and, and you can do, do things with that. But I've also found that people experience microaggressions and that had to do with my communication style. That's what I learned. That's kind of like the biggest takeaway from my accountability process was to work on my communication. So I did. I like hunkered down. I've read six or more books and done tons of um, classes on communication in the last year. And because I didn't want to perpetuate that. I didn't want to be someone who made people feel bad. Uh, just because of the way I communicated. Um, and so I wanted to get better. Um, so I just encourage you to get better, get better, get better. Um, th this is like an awkward trend. I don't know how to do <laughs> transition. We were just talking about something heavy. Uh, so now, you know, it's it's real. But I, w I would just want you to, to get out of your comfort zone every day, a little bit every day. Um, and together we can do this. But we need, I know just from the the body positive movement, how essential our thin allies are to like helping people understand that all bodies are good bodies. 
Um, I know how important that is because they hear the fat microaggressions and the, and the, oh, this is like the, all that chatter that people maybe won't say and politely in front of fat people, but they will say to thin people that they think are like on their side and having someone interrupt that always makes me feel good. So I've got to be able to do that for other folks, um, who, you know, when I have an experience, cause we're all in a matrix of privilege and oppression, but right now we're focusing on black people because that's the house that's on fire. So um, anyway, all that to say, hey, it's June. We're in Pride Month. Um, I don't like to start Pride Month without, uh, really acknowledging, um, that Pride started as a police rebellion, a rebellion against police brutality, um, against queer people. And, um, I remember, like, the Stonewall... Uh, which is where Pride began, um, and that original rebellion was, the first time I ever uh, produced an event there, which, what an honor. It was an honor to me to have my first drink at the Stonewall. And then it was a super double, triple uh, axle honor to be able to produce a queer performance at Stonewall. So I, I've thrown a lot of things. I threw like a a poetry, uh, like kind of more deep self-love cabaret thing. And then I, I did like dance parties and drag shows and all sorts of fun things at the Stonewall. And the first time I ever produced there, uh, the manager told me, I said something about the Stonewall riots and he was like, no, no, sweetie, we call it the rebellion because a riot is uh, a different thing than a rebellion. And this was an uprising. And so I just always like to, ever since I was schooled on that, I lovingly schooled, but schooled, uh, I have just reminded myself this is a rebellion and this was part of a rebellious spirit and femmes were at the forefront, black folks were at the forefront, um, POC were at the forefront and um, I'm just like so grateful to them for creating, you know, with their uprising, uh, the world that I get to live in. And it's so interesting too, because like I've said this before on the podcast and I'll never tire of sharing this. When I was growing up, uh, like baby queer, I never ever thought I was going to get legally married. I never thought that would be true for my lifetime. And you know what? It's true. Also, I was early in the body positive movement and I still didn't think it would become as mainstream as it has. Like that surprised me. So like, you know what? I want movements to continue to surprise me, but now I'm leading with a little more optimism and vision. It's another thing Michael Bernard Beckwith tasked us with is we need to vision the future we want to see. So um, like vision what's possible when we defund the police and fund community initiatives that help us uh, strengthen our communities and get people the real help they need. Cause really that's, we need to be helping each other. We don't need to be policing each other. Um, so anyway, I just like, I like to think about that. I like to think about our origins. Um, I, uh, I, I'll say this, I'm, I'm like struggling about whether or not I should share this, but I'm going to share it. I'll just be a little bitchy. I get so fatigued when I see people who are quote unquote LGBTQ influencers whose first post in Pride Month is a sponsored post. Um, I, I've seen folks like who didn't like didn't even take the time to acknowledge any kind of like ancestors before just like diving in and making a profit with pride. And that makes it so gross. Pride TM is so gross. And that's like pride that's been corporatized where like community groups have to pay money to be in a pride parade, uh, that also has absolute vodka and, 
um, all these other big corporations paying tons of money and getting lots of attention. Like, it's it's weird to me that if they're going to take money from corporations, they're not going to then allow a free pass for community groups that don't have really money to pay to be in a pride parade. Um, I remember I was in the pride parade with the Femme family in New York City, uh, which is uh, a community organization I ran with Hadassah Damian, who was in my last episode. And, um, we, I mean, we ran it together with like a group of folks, uh, putting it, but we were the two, uh, the two co-head madams is what we called it. Anyway, whatever. We were in the pride parade and it cost us money, like a lot of, like a lot of money for us, like a few hundred bucks to be in the pride parade. And that was just to have a van, like not even to like, uh, have a big old float cause that costs way more money. And I, it, it never, it, I was just like, really, how is it that like community organizations that are like out here, grassroots trying to uplift folks, um, have to pay, like pay a lot compared to our budgets, right? Compared to like corporations who, you know, are here to sell us basically poison, right? Like, it's so, it just, like, baffles me. So I'm really kind of excited that this year Pride is canceled and that what we're doing for Pride is we're gathering together to collectively protest to support uh, Black Lives Matter. And I hope that people take that seriously and, like, really put a lot of thought and heart into what Pride means to them and, like, how they can best support whether you're queer or not, but to support the LGBTQ folks in your life and to let them know that they are important to you and that, um, you know, that the legacy that we're building on matters. Um, a couple of books, since we're having introvert pride this year, basically this is introvert pride. Um, uh, all the introverts get to stay home and they're not missing a pride event. Uh, how about some books? You could read some cool books, uh, to celebrate pride. Uh, Zami, uh, by Audre Lorde, uh, is a great one. I love that book. Um, or anything by James Baldwin, uh, an important, uh, black revolutionary, um, gay man. Uh, so highly recommend both of those. There's tons and tons and tons of queer books you can read. Um, but what a great opportunity. And if you are not queer, read a queer book anyway, uh, learn more about queer people. Um, and right. Cause you can always learn, but anyway, so, um, so that's pride. <laughs> I feel like I've really, I'm a heavily on the soapbox, but I'm just trying to like not be on a soapbox and just level with you about, um, the way I see the world, which is a little different than most folks. Um, so to get a little personal in my life, um, I've had some more upheaval. Uh, I talked about this a, a couple few episodes ago. The last solo episode I had was like the week I moved and I was a little like stressed and all over the place, but basically I moved into a trailer. Um, it's, it's like, I, it really feels more like a boat than a trailer. Cause like when you get in it, it's a little like, it's not really wobbly, but it's like, feels like it's moving. And then when it rains, it really does feel like you're in a boat. Um, and it's got a little kitchen and like a teeny tiny kitchen. Um, but like a place to sit, like it has a little love seat. Um, and, uh, the thing that was really important to me in finding, um, a trailer that I was going to live in was like movable furniture and not the like fixed fat phobic booth thing. Cause it's hard to sit in a booth if you're fat and I just never want my space to be inaccessible for folks. Um, even if I can sit in a booth cause I, I have a little squishy fat privilege, like I can get in a booth, but, um, I didn't want that life. I wanted it to be flexible for anybody that might be a guest that stays or whatever. Um, but I guess it's not totally accessible cause there are stairs to get into it. Um, but it's, it's, it's more fat friendly. 
Um, and it has, I mean, the last place I was living in my sublet, I had a twin size bed. So now I've upgraded to like, it is, it's not quite a full, it's like a double. Anyway, it's, it's something that as another person could sleep in with me as long as we're okay touching. Um, and, uh, there's no internet, uh, in my new trailer because the people who do the internet out here are sheltering in place and they won't do it. So, um, I'm like, I'm still confused. Cause like it was empty at the time. So whatever, but it, it's fine. I'm just like, I'm trusting this opportunity to not have the internet at my trailer, like where I'm living as a learning opportunity for me to do things differently because I have been working from home and working for myself for quite some time. And so I'm used to being able to integrate the things I need to live with the things I need to work. Um, I'm used to like just hearing my hunger cues and going to the kitchen and starting something cooking and coming back to work. Whereas, um, when I go to an office to work, which is what I've been doing, I'm working, I'm literally right now at, in my mom's art studio in the back room. She was so kind to set me up a little office. Um, and I'm just in here doing my calls, doing my internet stuff all day, not all day, every day, but a lot, of, a lot of the time. Um, and uh, so like, you know, the first week I was really getting hangry a lot because I wouldn't prioritize eating. I just like, I was in the middle of moving. I didn't know where all my stuff was. It's not like I could pack a lunch. Um, I'm still, I still haven't unpacked all my kitchen stuff. So my, my only plate is not a plate. It's a piece of Tupperware. <laughs> and so, um, but I have stuff in storage. I don't know how much my movers lost, um, in, in the move. So I haven't gone through all the kitchen boxes or lost or broke. Uh, there were 12 boxes missing and I think a lot of it was my kitchen stuff. So I'm just trying to figure out what I actually even have. Um, and it's a lot of emotional work to go through my storage. And also I have to stop working in order to go to storage. And I have been, I've, I, a lot of people have slowed down during uh, the corona. I have only uh, sped up. And I haven't watched Netflix since I moved. So ever since, like, it's interesting not having internet at home. It's kind of forcing me into a more monastic uh, lifestyle. Like, I'm meditating a lot more. I'm, like, uh, when I'm home, I'm, like, powering down. I'm not, like, trying to get more work done. Um, but I've started to, like, learn self-care around, like, food timing and like having food available for me here where, where I'm actually working and like doing that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm having to really, um, work on my self care and work on my time management in a way that I haven't before. So since there's no point, since I'm not like winding down my day with Netflix anymore, I, I just started, you know, I'm winding down my day actually more with my nature walk. Um, I do it during golden hour and, um, my golden hour nature walk is like, it starts at 8 PM most nights. Um, if I have a night meetings or night work, then I'll time block it. I, I am very protective of my nature walk time block. So if I'm not doing it at eight, I'll do it earlier. Like today I had a meeting from eight to 1130. So I ended up doing my nature walk at like 6:30 and just time blocked it before. But, um, I, I call it time blocking for God. Uh, and it really is. It's like one of the most, uh, important pieces of my self care. Um, and it really centers, um, my connection with God and looking at the nature around me and seeing how things in the forest change and like, um, being delighted by things and being curious and looking at stuff. It's, uh, can't, if you have like access to outside and going someplace beautiful and I just try doing it every day for, 
like 21 days and see how it makes you feel to just like go out half hour. I mean, I, I'm out there for like an hour, hour and a half, but, um, you know, you do, you start with five minutes, but like doing it every day will really like, for me, it's really changed a lot about me and helped me deepen a lot of the learning I'm in. Um, I keep pulling tarot cards about my next right action and I kept getting learn more study. Um, there's like a hermit card that kept coming up that is all about study. So, um, so I've been studying a lot and going to, um, and learning things, uh, and going into nature helps me like have time to like, um, integrate. And uh, so I'll start drawing weird connections cause I'll be out there walking. Um, so it's, Interesting because it's, I was, I had a lot of grief actually leaving my sublet because I loved that house and it's for sale. Um, and I was like, I don't have $135,000 now, but you know, Facky Dance Party could go viral tomorrow and then I can buy this house. And I was just waiting for my miracle and it didn't happen. And I had to grieve that like things weren't happening on my own timeline, which is again, wanting to control people, places and things. And, um, so, but you know, I had a little grief in the middle of that moving process. So like, I'm really happy and grateful to be able to live in this neighborhood long-term. Um, I live, for those of you who don't know, I live in a tiny lesbian retirement village in the woods, um, in Washington state. And my mom lives here. It's not exclusive to retirees, but like who's off the grid out of a city, somebody who works entirely online from home, me. Um, and actually I don't work from home anymore. I work from my mom's art studio. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like living without the internet has been a whole thing, but it's helped me make some like changes. Cause a lot of success is just like eliminating stuff that doesn't serve you anymore. And like my Netflix subscription was not serving me. So, um, I watched Tiger King. I think I saw the best that it had to op offer and now I'm all set. I mean, also, like, my mom has Netflix, so I can just watch it at her house. Um, she doesn't give me logins. It's really interesting. Other people get their mom's logins. But she does let me watch it on her TVs, and I don't even have the internet, so who cares, right? Um, uh, also, something I've been doing is um, listening to a lot of Grateful Dead. Um, Andy Cohen put this uh, thing on his Instagram stories last October uh, where he was teaching Jimmy Fallon how to love the Grateful Dead or, like, sort of a curriculum, uh, like three songs a week, listen to multiple live versions of each song. And I have been, I wouldn't call it a wannabe deadhead, but I would say like I've had grateful dead curiosity, but I didn't really fully understand it, but I knew I liked it, but I didn't really understand it. Um, so when he posted, and also my, I, I text my friend Gabby Bluestone every year about which dead and company shows are you going to? And I still regret not going with her to the Hollywood bowl in 2016, um, when she posted on our Facebook, on our Facebook group about like, and does anyone want to go to this? I should have gone. Um, and I, th I don't know if I had a conflict or what happened, but ever since I've been like, Oh, I want to try to go to a show this year and I've never made it happen. And then this year they're all canceled. So then I was like, wow, I'm in the same position, um, as everybody else. Maybe this will be the time that I spend to study Andy Cohen's curriculum for Grateful Dead. So that's what I started doing. I just really, when I, I pulled all those cards about studying too. So like, I was like, okay, this will be a fun thing to do at night instead of um, just like mindlessly watching The Office for the 88th time. I can um, listen to something that is enriching that is going to help me understand uh, this thing that I've liked a lot. And what's cool, too, is that um, it's I've learned a lot and grown a lot in the last few months, uh, kind of thanks to my dad in some of these ways. Um, and my dad actually loves The Grateful Dead and... Um, 
he was he was reminiscing about me as a baby. And now, mind you, my parents divorced when I was 18 months old. My dad has been a Debbie dad um, a lot, like the whole time pretty much, not paying child support, not really showing up for me. And that was like on him, and I can pinpoint it. Um, if my dad's listening to this, I still love him as a human being. But I really see from what he shared with me, I think he wasn't around in my life because he felt shame because he wasn't going to do it, quote unquote, right. So he just didn't show up for it. And that is a, yet another thing that perfectionism and shame has robbed from my life, which was a relationship with my father. How sad is that? Uh, what a motivation to me to continue to eradicate perfectionism from my life and to allow myself to accept that failure is part of success. And if I want to be successful, I got to keep failing and I got to try and do it imperfectly. Because um, honestly, like having someone try and do it imperfectly is better uh, and then learn from it, right? Is better than just skipping out on your daughter's entire life, right? Um, but having him reminisce about like loving on me as a baby and like our strong attachment and like knowing he was into Grateful Dead, I was like, oh, maybe I listened to so much Grateful Dead as like an infant that like it's like like growing out of me as a 40 year old. I don't know. Whatever. I, I'm just saying like and also maybe it's now that I smoke cannabis because cannabis is the, I didn't start really smoking cannabis until I was like. 35. Um, so I'm a very late in life stoner. Um, but I will say unequivocally cannabis improves your experience of the grateful dead. Like, I don't know, like I like it way more, uh, when I'm stoned. So, um, that's kind of like my trailer life. Uh, mom and Pat, uh, her spouse surprised me with like a cute little outdoor area. One day they like put up some chairs and a rug and mom got made me all these potted plants so that I could have some plant life up there uh which was really nice because it was just kind of a gravel um because when you have like an RV lot because I pay rent on the lot and um mom and pat bought the trailer that I'm living in um and so the lot itself is just gray gravel it is so like plain but it looks so nice now with the outdoor plants and I'm just so grateful to get to live here and have forest access and see eagles almost every single day. Like, I am blessed beyond measure. And something that I've come to a clarity about recently is that um, I really uh, am not a content creator. I don't identify as an influencer um, because, like, those aren't, those are things that came up as terms after I've already been doing whatever it is I've been doing, right? I've been public on the internet since like 2002, uh, sharing my story and wanting people, wanting to help people learn from my experience. Right. Um, and cause like real leaders in the world, like don't just like go somewhere themselves. They go somewhere and they bring people along, um, and they show them the way. So that's always been on my heart to do. Um, but since I've been here, I've really been giving it some thought, like, what is it that I do? What do I do in this world? Um, and I know my mission in life is to, um, make the world safe for people to love themselves. And that I have said that in the same way, but meant it in different ways for, for the last like 10 or so years. Like I kind of came up with that about 10 years ago and that's evolved over time. Cause I used to think I needed to change the world and the systems. And then I realized, no, the true powerful change comes from within. So I need to teach people how to love themselves. Right. But also simultaneous with teaching, I have to love myself. And that's a daily practice. That's something you have to show up for every day. It's a mountain you never stop climbing. When you're taught, when you're in a society that teaches people to not love themselves, you really have to learn how to be free in your mind. Um, and so I'm just constantly working on that. Um, but what I realized about the work that I do in the world 
is that I am passing the peace. That's what I'm doing. I am just getting peaceful with myself, which is, I think the result of self-love is creating like a serenity and a peace. Um, and then I'm just passing that on to other people through, you know, my dancing in the forest videos or whatever it is I'm doing this podcast. Um, I hope it's helping people bring more peace and experience more peace in the world. Um, and so like, Passing the peace is just, it's really on my heart. It's, it's what I do. And, um, it's, uh, something that I think is still evolving, like what that even looks like. But it also means that like, I don't know, like, I think a lot of people on Instagram were like quick to do a lot of performative allyship, um, but not actually do the internal work of change and self-examination. Um, and I am always in that work of self-examination and I was just like, Ooh, is this the time to talk about that? Or is this the time to just sit back and let other voices have the mic? And I, I was, I was mixed about it, but I think there's also something to be said. Every voice matters because people, even if you teach the same thing that other people teach, people will hear it differently coming from you. And especially when you're doing that one-to-one -one conversations with folks. So again, I'm inspiring you, gently nudging you to have uncomfortable conversations. Get on the phones with your cousins, like talk to people you don't talk to a lot because they make you a little nuts and allow the people who make you nuts, like to make you level up into the best version of yourself. Because people, when people make you nuts, you're letting them make you nuts and difficult experiences and difficult people are just giving you uh, an opportunity to grow. Um, something that helped me this week when I was dealing with someone difficult was to see them the way God sees them. And often when I do that, I picture people as five years old because most of the time when people are aggressive or mean or talking down to you, they are literally repeating the tone of voice and how they were talked to when they were under seven years old. So just imagine that, like understand that, like that. And also all of your negative self-talk and the way you talk to yourself, that is unconscious coding from before you were seven years old. Isn't that wild? Um, kids are sponges. They absorb everything. And when you talk, you know, I know this from like body liberation work, but I know that like when moms talk about their body image around their kids, their kids pick that up and absorb that as their body image. And like, here you go, you're just seeding eating disorders into the next generation without meaning to, but that's why you've got to do the work to get free and to love yourself too. So you can model that for your kids. Even if they're older, they'll see you learning, they'll see you growing and they'll be inspired by that. Even if they're snarky, cause you know, kids go through that snarky phase. Um, Another thing I've just really been working on a lot in my life is uh, my self-care and my self-leadership. Um, you lead yourself uh, when you make decisions to do things you don't want to, um, but because they need to get done. So stuff like my nature walk every day. There's a lot of days I don't feel like going under the woods, even though I love it. And when I do it, I never regret it, but I still don't want to. And but then like, it's a necessary part. Some days I really look forward to it, but some days, you know, I'm just like, I'd rather, you know, watch TV, but I don't, uh, because I need to do this for my own growth. I also, it's the same thing with like leading yourself to work out. Like I talk about this a lot that like the people who, um, are the members of my, uh, Facky Dance Party weekly online aerobics thing, they have to lead themselves. Like we're not meeting at a specified time. I just post these videos and like, uh, it's up to you to like pick a time, commit to it, show up for it and follow through. Um, that's leadership. That's leading yourself. Cause most people don't feel like working out before they work out, but they do it because they want the results. So you got to be able to like talk yourself into doing something. And 
Um, I was talking to a friend yesterday, actually, and she was talking about how really to get things done, you have to just reverse engineer and remove all the barriers. And I was like, oh, that's so good. Um, and like, and it's true. You just kind of like if, remove one barrier a day until eventually like you're set to go. Um, and yeah, so that's just a, a thing to think about. Um, and also I don't think a lot of people are engaging in a whole lot of self-care right now. I think like things feel heightened and important and like there is a very real thing of activist fatigue and protest fatigue. Um, and, um, so I just want to remind folks of some basics, uh, hydration, like, are you drinking enough water? We need a, a quite a lot of water, actually. Water is so important for us, not only physically, but also emotionally, because that's how our emotions, uh, part of how emotions get through our bodies is through water. Um, also, uh, metaphysically, uh, if you have stuff that's not serving you, it wants to flush out. So being hydrated is super important for so many reasons. Um, sleeping enough. Uh, I really believe in sleep as kind of a cornerstone. Um, and I think so many of us like sacrifice sleep. Uh, it's like the first thing to go, but it's like actually one of the most important things you do is rest your body, your mind, and your spirit. Um, cause that's when you're actually in full alignment. Um, I learned this from a lot of metaphysical teachers cause you got the least resistance up, um, when you are sleeping. Um, movement, obviously, uh, movement is super important. It helps us move our feelings. It helps us, uh, especially when you have a lot of rage and anger and shame and frustration like movement is so good it helps to like release tonic chemicals in the body um, help elevate your mood and help increase your focus and what you can do in the world and your effectiveness um, and also just listening to your body that's a big part of being in self-care um, my friend Katie Sweetman, the astrologer who I interviewed a few episodes ago, um, I don't think she said this on the podcast. I think she just said this to me, but she's like, I treat my body like an athlete now, um, because spirit demands that of me, uh, in order to be a channel. Cause we were talking about, um, really, I stopped drinking entirely, but she, um, she only like has a drink every now and again now, uh, because like it, for her, it was like dragging down her ability to channel spirit. And she wanted to be able to be the best channel for her client she could be. Um, and for me, like I gave up drinking cause it just wasn't serving my body. I had to, I could not, I couldn't ignore my body's cues any longer about alcohol, but also like, you know, too, like, I think, you know, I'd said the last time I drank, I'd said some things that were really unkind to someone I loved. And I was like, oh my God, if I knew the person who had said that, I would be so mad at them. And it was me. I felt so self-betrayed. Um, and so I was like, this is over. <laughs> I had a great run with alcohol, but I'm 33 now. It's time to walk away. Um, but like, you know, I knew that then. Um, I'm still listening to my body. I'm still listening to my body's cues and like continuing to just like make hard decisions with my behaviors because they serve my greater purpose in life. And I'm you know, obviously a very purpose-driven woman, um, but I just want to be the most effective person I can be. And I know part of that is listening to my body and choosing to create the environment that I know um, gives me the best possibility to succeed and affect change. Um, and so all that to say, that's like the, the meat of this episode. But I want to also say, if you love this podcast or if this podcast is of value to you, um, please consider becoming a patron of mine. Um, Patreon is a membership site that allows creators like me to be supported by folks who appreciate their work, maybe like you. Um, uh, my Patreon page also allows me to create 
benefits, which I love to deliver. Um, first of all, you can join uh, for like two bucks. Uh, it is so, it, I love all of my patrons. Every dollar counts. It really does. Like I didn't think that I was ever going to be a majority Patreon supported artist, like, cause I did a lot of event work and I was touring with Fat Kid Dance Party and like doing live classes. But then, um, because of COVID, like this is pretty much my main gig. I have a couple other things I do, um, for money on the side, but like my Patreon is like the main thing right now. And I am so grateful to it. It has totally saved my bacon so much in the last year. And I am super, 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 super grateful for each and every one of you. Um, at the $5 level, you get access to Bevan's Bites, which is a podcast of mini episodes that is only available for my Patreon subscribers. It's got stuff about self-care. It's got Reiki healings, meditations, and, um, a lot of things that I record, like specific updates only there and, and some stuff like, you know, where I talk through my process about things. Like if I go through a tough time, um, I'll reflect on it there. Cause I've learned a lot from other people who have shared their process going through tough times. Um, like whose, whose thoughts, you know, just learning from other people's process. Um, so I share that. I also have uh, my Facky Dance Party weekly aerobics classes. Facky Dance Party is an aerobic class I created for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too fat, too, too much, or felt too awkward to dance, it's the supportive class for you. Um, I designed it just cause I wanted to do dance aerobics. I love dance aerobics. And, um, now I teach it mostly in the woods by myself. Um, I was recording live classes sometimes. Um, I'd be a mix of both solo and live classes and now it's just me in the woods. Uh, so I hope that also passes the piece a little bit too. It's like, um, just having a class with this woodsy background. Um, and but also at other tiers, I do um, a quarterly self-care package where you get some tea that I blend together and infuse with Reiki um, and also some uh, little self-care gifties. I'm putting them together this month right now. So I'm like doing a, some altar pieces, some uh, stuff I've picked up around the land here um, and some really cool rocks. We have some amazing glacial rocks on our shoreline. So I have some of those that, um, my mom's spouse has polished. And so I'm, uh, sending those out. Um, it's fun to make these little self-care packages so you can support that. And also I don't have a lot of slots available, but I have a couple more slots available for coaching clients. So if you're interested in working on, um, confidence, uh, or deeper, uh, relationship with your artwork, um, or kind of developing your faith, a little faith formation, um, or anything that, you know, you think that I can, uh, help you develop. Uh, if you're listening to my podcast, you probably have a, a breadth of understanding of what I do. Um, get in touch. We can do a, a 30 minute intro session. And if it's a good fit, we can set it up. And, um, it's one of my Patreon levels, but it's invite only. Uh, it's, it's really, I like to know, I, I like to like the people I work with. I think that's, um, important that you, when you're working with people one-on-one -on -one, that you have a connection and, um, Anyway, so get in touch if you're interested in that. And um, yeah, I'm just super grateful for everybody who supports my Patreon. Uh, I want to welcome Lolly, who is uh, who joined at the $2 level. Thank you so much, Lolly. I don't know where you live because they don't get the address from people um, at that level. But Lolly, from wherever you are, thanks for supporting my podcast, for supporting my work, and supporting um, me helping to amplify this work to more folks. Um, 
So that's it for this episode. Uh, oh, wait. It's patreon.com slash FKDP. I can't, like, just talk all about it and then not tell you how to get there. FKDP stands for Fat Kid Dance Party. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash FKDP. There's a link in the show notes. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for tuning into this. I just appreciate you being here for this podcast and listening to what I have to say and letting me not be on a soapbox, but just like be sitting with you on a front porch, just sharing my heart and telling you what's been my experience and what I think is the most crucial thing that we can do in this movement at this time. And, um, I just want you to know that you are worthy of love exactly as you are. You are totally capable to have awkward conversations and change the world. That is so real. Um, you doing work on yourself is changing the world. Um, you learning more and learning different perspectives is changing the world. Um, and you going out there with your imperfect action is changing the world. Um, and I just want you to know that you are wonderfully whole and complete already, um, only getting better every single day. Um, I love you so much. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk next time.